thrillers, chillers, and chicks. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Thrillers, Chillers, and Chicks. And we are the Chicks. My name is Erica. And my name is Hannah. And we continue to be the Chicks. <laughs> so Erica, what are we what are we doing on this podcast? So this podcast is mainly a place for us, some really cool chicks, uh, to talk about scary movies we watch. Um, I really love the genre. I watch it a lot. <laughs> um, and I I just, I'll, I've always wanted to talk about them in some capacity because they live rent-free in my brain every day. <laughs> and I'm a reformed weenie, so I did not grow up watching a lot of scary movies, but I'm trying to get more into the genre now. And Erica is enthusiastically leading me by the hand through some of her favorite scary movies. Chef's Kiss. So aside from loving scary movies and being an avid horror fan, what qualifies you, Erica, to talk about some of the spookier sides of life? Um, uh, well, I'm a bio major. I feel like that's scary enough. <laughs> um, and uh, I've slowly acquired, um, or I'm slowly acquiring, a collection of oddly cheap uh, skeletal remains of things, animals, animals. Not, the, animals, not human beings, animals, even though I probably would ethically Erica. sourced, of course, uh, <laughs> ethically donated to science or something. So if you, uh, are, you know, getting an arm amputated or something, donate your bones to Erica. I will take them. She will put them in a shadow box. And love them forever. Yes. I also have my, <laughs> I got one of my dogs cremated, so those remains are chilling out in my house, too. <laughs> so, you know, Erica's very weird. We love that about her. She likes bones. And also lots of pastel pink things. So the vibes, all over the place. Very immaculate. <laughs> um, I, for myself, um, I'm an engineer. So I've seen a lot of the darker side of the human psyche. Uh, you know, finals week in, in STEM world is just, it's a whole other time, free for all. And I just grew up loving Halloween and fascinated with the macabre. I don't have a lot of bones, though. Maybe I should get into that more. <laughs> get a shadow box. I mean, you did say you wanted one of my tattoos. I feel like that. I did. <laughs> I found out that you can, when you die, uh, they can cut off your tattooed skin and preserve it for your loved ones and erica has a tattoo of a little alien given a peace sign on her shoulder and i asked her if i could have it if i outlive her and she said yes absolutely she has dibs i'll make sure to include it in my will thank you he will live on my mantle because at that point in my life i will have a mantle (laughs) (laughs) so what are we talking about today erica all right. Today we are talking about the movie Hereditary, which was directed by Ari Aster. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, I personally had heard a lot about this movie 
just because when it came out, people were talking, you know, yeah, a lot about it. There was it. a lot of buzz about it, I feel like. And even now, like, if someone brings up Hereditary, they say it was just a movie that genuinely freaked them out. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, now I have to know. I was a little nervous to watch this movie because I had heard from several people that it was very scary. And I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was ready That's to, be, a movie. to be scared. But, you know, personally, I, I didn't find it super frightening. What did, what did you say, Erica? I didn't either. I would definitely say definitely had its disturbing moments. Oh, definitely. Or, or shocking mm-hmm. or even just kind of, like, uncomfortable. Yeah. But I don't think it's not something that I... I lost any sleepover. No, definitely not. So, Erica, would you mind giving us a quick recap (laughs) of the events of the movie? All right. So, for this podcast, I've decided to include a tiny little segment called our ghetto recap, (laughs) which is just a a fairly quick uh, series of events or the general gist of what happened in the movie. Um... I think this kind of goes without saying, but it's very spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen the movie and you'd like to watch it, uh, pause the podcast, go see it and come back. No, check it out. Um, so uh, the movie starts. We have like this very peculiar family. I'd say we learned pretty early on that they're really peculiar, really weird. Um, but it starts with um, the mom's mother, the grandmother. Um, passes away and they're at the funeral and they're talking about her and that's kind of what sets off all the events in the movie it's made pretty clear from the funeral that this grandmother was not the most loving or maternal of characters Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like she has a very good relationship with her daughter um and there's a a surprising amount of people at the funeral for someone who was kind of a bitch. <laughs> and the daughter even says, like, wow, I didn't know my mom had so many friends, which uh, comes into play later. Oh, yes. But, you know, so while the mother is giving a eulogy, um, her husband is sitting in the front row with her teenage daughter, Charlie, who I believe is about 13 in the movie, mm. and their teenage son, uh, Peter, I believe his name was. Yes, I think um, you're right. Who's about, I want to say, 16. And Charlie is sketching in her little sketchbook and clicking her tongue in a very frightening manner. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, middle schoolers, I think, in general, are just some of the most frightening beings that we encounter on a daily basis. But this middle schooler in particular is quite unsettling to me. (laughs) She, yes, um... I don't want to skip ahead too far, but there are definitely some moments she has where you're like, girl, what you doing? (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Girl, stop. The way that they shot this movie, too, was just so good. Like, it was good. It was really well shot. It was very well shot. Like, the, they built up a lot of suspense. Um, even in the first few moments, they focused a lot on Charlie and just kind of, seeing the funeral sort of through her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a very close connection to her grandmother. Um, at one point, her mother, Annie, even mentions that the grandmother insisted on feeding Charlie when she was a baby and wouldn't let Annie feed her. Um, and Charlie, you know, asks her mother after the funeral, who's going to take, take care, care of me? me? And she's like, me? <laughs> Your mother. 
Yeah, and it's um, along with that we um, so along with like the daughter's oddness and her weird behaviors, we also learn that the mom makes like dollhouses. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an artist, and that seems to be primarily what she like does. A miniaturist. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, that was another cool like a very interesting way they shot the movie because they transitioned yes. between these doll houses. It was really interesting when they first, the movie opens with us kind of zooming in on this doll house, which, you know, then pans into their house, mm-hmm. which kind of, you know, sets the stage for them being dolls and being kind of manipulated by some outside force throughout the whole movie. Oh Yeah. Uh, which they most certainly are, as we later come to find out. But in the funeral, they introduce uh, Charlie's nut allergy. She's eating a chocolate bar, and her parents both say, like, oh, does that have nuts in it? She says no, which is good. Mm -hmm. But later on. (laughs) It's very important. (laughs) It's very important. Um, So they go home from the funeral. Nobody is really sad, it seems, that Mm -hmm. their grandmother has passed away. They feel maybe a little guilty about not being sad. Mm-hmm. And that's what, um, that seems to be what drives the mom to end up going to grief counseling. Mm-hmm. Not so much for grief, but because she's very conflicted and that she didn't really feel that bad about her mother passing. And we learn that um, her family on her side has had a very troubled mm-hmm. past. I think it said, what did it say? Her father. Her father had, oh, her father had depression, didn't mm-hmm. he? And um, her mother had schizophrenia and, and dissociative identity disorder. And her brother had schizophrenia. And her brother killed himself when he was 16. Uh, and in his suicide note, he accused uh, their mother, the grandmother, of trying to put people inside of him and control him, um, which she said then pushed her mother kind of over the edge. And, you know, it it kind of also introduces to us uh, just this history of mental health issues in Annie's family and maybe suggests to us that, you know, a big trauma like this might break Annie's psyche. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can't trust her perception of things entirely. Mm -hmm. And I would say at this point of the movie, you know, earlier on, I kind of thought the movie would be told more from like Charlie's perspective, Um, just because at the funeral and some of the scenes immediately following, there was a lot of uh, scenes with her as the main focus. But I think this is where it kind of really shifts to being Annie's movie. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot from her point of view. But again, you're, you're kind of hesitant to trust her perception of things just because, you know, you don't, you don't know how much pressure her psyche can handle. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what spurns the next section, or at least in my notes, it seemed like that was the next mm-hmm. big plot point, um, which is that um, Peter wants to go to a party. So he, uh, you know, with his high school friends, um, so he asks the mother to borrow the car, and the mom's like, well, there's no drinking, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, well, take your sister. Mm-hmm. And 
she's uh charlie's very adamant about not wanting to go mm-hmm. but she's like no you'll you know you can talk to kids your age or make friends or something she seems and charlie you know it's been shown to us that charlie is odd and it seems like her mother is very concerned about her you know she grew up in a family of oddballs mm-hmm. and she doesn't want charlie to be weird essentially yeah and like even um like for an example of kind of her odd behaviors uh we also get to see charlie at school we get to see both the the siblings at school at some point and she sees a bird hit a window Mm -hmm. and she like finds the bird outside later in the day and just cuts the head off with some scissors she has in her pocket and carries the head around yeah and then like makes a toy out of it or something it was weird yeah that's another thing uh charlie makes little dolls and stuff uh kind of like her mom but she makes them out of just scrap things she has lying around so they're kind of grotesque and strange looking mm-hmm. um very different from what her mom seems to do um but yeah so peter you know grudgingly says he'll take his sister to the party because he can't flat out refuse to take her without admitting to his mom that there's going to be drinking and smoking mm-hmm. at the party. So he takes her, and for some reason, you know, we, we get to the party and we see this girl at the counter chopping just an absurd amount of pecans. I have never seen anyone use that many pecans for any baked good in my life. But they wanted to drive home the fact that there are nuts here. Uh-huh. This is not an allergy safe zone. Uh-huh. They're somehow, growing them into whatever they're making, which turns out to be an entire cake. Yeah. It's a lot of nuts for one cake. But anyways, Peter and Charlie don't seem to notice this huge mountain of nuts that she's aggressively chopping. And, aggressively chopping. Like I uh, thought she was going to cut her finger. Or oh, something. I did too. I was a little <laughs> worried. She was going for it. Um, but then Peter wants to go smoke with this girl who he's got a little crush on and he doesn't want his kid's sister tagging along. Mm-hmm. So he tells her to go get a piece of cake. And Charlie goes and she gets a piece of cake and, you know, apparently even with the obscene amount of nuts, she didn't notice that it had nuts until she was a couple bites in. She starts going into anaphylactic shock. Mm-hmm. And it looks like she hesitates to say anything for a while. Like she's mm-hmm. just kind of like, eh, and she gets water and stuff like that. And eventually she goes up to the room Peter's in because he's in there with a bunch of uh, other kids smoking some weed, some marijuana. Mm -hmm. And um, she's like, "Uh, my throat's closing up. Like, I can't breathe. Except cuter than that, but still. (laughs) And Peter, I will give Peter this. He hops into action. Like, Mm -hmm. he knows the seriousness. He's not trying to, like, brush her off. He's like, we need to leave now. So he picks her up. And tosses her in the backseat of the car and starts, like, booking it to the hospital. Right. And they are kind of out in the middle of nowhere. They live out in the country. So it's a it's quite a drive to the hospital. And on the way, you know, Charlie's sort of scratching at her throat. She can't breathe. It's getting worse. And in an attempt to be able to breathe, um, she rolls down the window and sticks her head out the window, just trying to get some air however she can. And, you know, Peter's yelling at her to get back in the car. And they're driving at fairly high speed because mm-hmm. Peter's trying to get her to the hospital. And they come upon this telephone pole. Well, first they see it's like a, a dead, dead deer, deer in, in the, the middle, middle of the road. road. And Charlie, not Charlie, I'm sorry. Peter swerves to avoid the deer that's in the middle of the road. And 
Charlie is decapitated by the telephone pole. That's on the side of the road he swerves to. Yes, because she's got her head stuck out the window trying to breathe. And Erica and I were both shocked. Shook. Because any promotional material you see for this movie, that little girl's face is plastered all, all over it. I think it's even on, like, if you look at the, uh, like, the cover art for the movie, mm-hmm. it's, like, the mom's face and the daughter. Like, yeah. that's what's on the, the cover. The way they promoted this movie, they made you think she was going to be, like, a focal point of the movie. And this is really early, like, r- very early on in the movie. Yes. Like, the funeral, they go to school, and now this is happening. We were shook. <laughs> so... The scene after, like, right as she's decapitated for me was one of the, like, best scenes in the movie because, Mm -hmm. you know, Peter stops the car and it just zooms in on his face where he's, you just see all of these emotions playing through and he can't look in the back seat. Yeah, you can tell he kind of knows what happens, but he's also... He's in shock. Yeah, and he doesn't want to confirm Mm -hmm. or really know if it happened. And, like, I I really enjoyed the way they shot it, too, because they kind of switch to his perspective, mm-hmm. and it starts creeping up to the rearview mirror to see, and it quickly shifts back, and you see his face again. Mm-hmm. And then he just pulls off slowly and starts to drive home. Yep. And then you see him just kind of walk up the stairs and lie down in bed, and he just kind of stares at the wall. And then in the morning, you hear his parents, you know, getting ready to go to work or whatever, and they discover uh, what had happened the night mm-hmm. before. And you see Charlie's mother, Annie, reacting to the news of Charlie's death. And um, props to the actress who plays Annie, because that was a very gut-wrenching scene to witness. Mm-hmm. Um just the the grief and the the desperation in her voice um, when she was talking, you know, screaming about about her daughter, mm-hmm. and you know, then we we see Charlie's funeral, and she goes back to the grief group. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's where we meet Joan. Joan. Woo, Joan. I Joan, wanted Joan, to Joan, stand Joan. Joan so bad. I wrote it in my little notes. We try to take notes while we mm-hmm. watch the movie to keep our thoughts in order. And I have in nice big letters, we stand Joan. <laughs> I also have we stand Joan. What a fool. What a fool. Because she pulls up and she uh, like she ends up changing her mind. So she starts to pull out of the grief counseling. Annie does. Yeah, Annie yeah. does. And and Joan stops her and she's like, well, were you going to go in there? And she kind of starts opening up and Joan starts to try and help her mm-hmm. and make her feel less alone. She's like, I lost my, what, her, or her son, her son and her grandson. grandson. And she's like, it was terrible and awful. And if you ever need anything, you can contact me. And... We, we liked Joan. We did. We were like, wow, how sweet. She had us in the first half, not going to lie. We should have known better. We did. <laughs> we, were, we were drawn in by her maternal comforting ways. <laughs> so Annie, you know, kind of throws herself into her, her work as a miniaturist. And 
Uh, we kind of see throughout the movie that the way Annie tends to process, I think, a lot of the events that happen in her life is through her work. She's made some, uh, you know, models of her mom, uh, like, dying in hospice, um, like, right after Charlie was born. And we see her uh, actually making a model of the accident that killed Charlie. Mm-hmm. And her husband, who... Side note, is my favorite character in this movie, because that man was the only thing keeping that family together. Oh, yes. He was really, he was super supportive, mm-hmm. and I often felt bad for him, because it seemed like he he just had to keep his stuff together, because all everyone else's stuff was not together in the least bit. Absolutely. He was the only one who had any kind of stability in that family. Um but he comes upon her making this model, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, girl. Girl, um, what if our son sees this? And she's like, it's a neutral view of the accident. I don't see how you could think this is upsetting. I just have a tiny model of our daughter's decapitated head lying uh, yeah, on the pavement. Yeah, like, ooh. It's fine. And I think after that, they, yeah, they go to dinner, mm-hmm. and we kind of see... Um, the rift that this has created, at least between Annie and her son, Peter. Mm-hmm. And we learned that it's not actually the first time that this isn't, I guess, the first case of them having a very stressful relationship as we learned that Annie used to sleepwalk. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time while sleepwalking, she had covered herself and uh, Peter while he was sleeping in lighter fluid mm-hmm. and that she had struck a match and that's what woke both of them up. So Peter knows that at some point, even if she wasn't all there, question, mm-hmm. you know, or conscious. or conscious that his mother had tried to kill him kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. Which in some ways is almost more frightening than your mother consciously trying to kill you mm-hmm. subconsciously because you know, it's maybe her most innate desire that you don't exist. <laughs> it's like, Oh cool. <laughs> thanks. Like, that's wow. great. Excellent. Um, So they, you know, they have dinner and they fight. And the dad being the icon that he is, is like, please stop fighting. And, you know, but more eloquently than I just now said it. Mm -hmm. And we see them kind of placing the blame because Annie is kind of like, I'm not mad at you, but I wish you would like take responsibility for it or something, which was kind of messed up. Can we talk about this scene? Yeah. That scene really made me angry (laughs) where... She essentially blames Peter for not taking responsibility for what happened in the accident. And in my opinion, Peter was doing everything he should have been doing. And he was trying to get Charlie to the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he should have kept a closer eye on her at the party. But, you know, Charlie's 13 and she seems old enough to kind of monitor her own food and make sure there's no nuts in it. So I'm not sure even he would have noticed that there was nuts in the cake. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that, like... I felt like if anyone should have really taken responsibility or if anyone had to be at fault for Mm -hmm. the accident, it would have been Annie because it wasn't like Charlie wanted to go at all. Right. But her mother kind of pushes her to go. And she knows that this is a a teen party Mm -hmm. for older teenagers, more Peter's age, because those are his friends and his classmates. Right. And so I feel like. I feel like personally I would have assumed or or at least had a thought in my mm-hmm. mind that Peter wasn't going to be watching Charlie yeah, the well, whole time. Peter like, uh-huh. even says as much as he says, why was she even there in the first place? Mm-hmm. It's because you made her go. And 
what really ticked me off about this scene was Annie, you know, was saying to her son that, you know, you can't accept responsibility for what happened. So how am I supposed to grieve and let go? And to blame anyone else for your grief mm-hmm. is just such a low and slimy move, in my opinion. Like, you cannot control other people's actions. And you have to work through your own grief yourself. And you have to find a way to let go of things and move on. Like, even if her son never, quote unquote, took responsibility, she needs to find a way to work through her grief. And it seems like, I don't know, it seems like this is maybe kind of a theme with Annie where she likes to kind of blame shift Mm -hmm. a lot. And I think she blames her mom for a lot of the issues she has in her life. And I don't know. I it, it just bothers me so much, and I'm like, take some responsibility, woman. <laughs> yeah. Don't blame your teenage son. Yeah. For your actions, especially since like it's it's very clear that he's grieving too. He's very torn up, very very affected by guilt, as you would be. Mm-hmm. Um. Even though I, you know, personally, I, it's not his fault. It was an yeah. accident, and it was like I, I just don't. It was. It just seems so out of his control what happened the pole being there the yeah. deer being there mm-hmm. and i mean and in a lot of ways you know going back to just the main plot of the movie it was out of his control like oh yeah there's a symbol that we see throughout the movie um on a necklace that the grandmother wore mm-hmm. that annie also wore that she said her mom her mom gave her the necklace um we see that same symbol carved into the telephone pole where charlie was decapitated mm-hmm. um which you know kind of lets us know that this is part of something bigger and there was maybe someone or something out there that wanted Charlie dead. Mm -hmm. We also see it on anything relating to the grandmother. So Mm -hmm. at one point, Annie goes through some of her old things and she finds a book with the symbol on it and a letter with the symbol on it. Mm -hmm. And um, this is kind of where we get the first hint that Annie's mother was definitely probably into some other things that really some maybe you know sketchy cults (laughs) sketchy occult things and she writes a letter that says like what i'm sorry for all this pain but the rewards are gonna be great i think we forgot about that early on in the movie um after the funeral annie discovers a letter from her mother that yeah basically says i'm sorry for all the pain I've caused you, but the sacrifices will be worth all the pain in the end, or mm-hmm. you know something the along those lines. For the sacrifices, and Annie's kind of like, whatever, yeah, and just sort of throws it aside, you know, as you know, I probably would too. I'd be like, okay, mom, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, okay, so at this point in the movie, they they've had dinner, they fight. Um, Annie runs into Joan at the craft store, mm-hmm. and Joan is like completely changed you know this woman that we saw earlier on uh who was kind of grief ridden and somber is now very vivacious and excited and Mm -hmm. she's like oh annie i i have to tell you you know Uh uh-huh she's even maybe a little pushy yeah and she kind of like pulls him aside and she's like oh my goodness you i have to tell you what happened and she tells her that she did a seance. I, in my notes, I, ca- I called it a ghetto seance. A ghetto seance. Because <laughs> it was kind of... She did it... Well, okay, so she, you know, she tells Annie that she did a seance and she got in contact with her grandson and, 
Annie's very skeptical and Joan convinces her to come back to the apartment and try it. And yeah. it's just Joan and Annie. And yeah. Erica was very upset. She goes, they don't even have a media. Yeah, I was really confused because it was like, all right, DIY seance. Do it yourself at home. Mm, what could go wrong? Yeah, but they did have directions. It's yeah. like a little card of directions. Written in like devil language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, just read the words exactly. And Annie, like an idiot's like, sure. Sure. So they do a little seance and, you know, Joan's got this chalkboard that she says was her grandson's and mm-hmm. he's, you know, we see the chalk move and it writes out a little message and Annie kind of freaks out because mm-hmm. it's scary. And Joan is like, it's okay. I reacted the same way the first time. And she gives her the devil language seance paper and is mm-hmm. like, go try it yourself. Yeah, go try it at home for you. So... Later that night, Annie awakens her sleeping family, drags them downstairs, and is like, oh, Charlie's here, and is involving them in the seance, and she's insisting that Charlie's there. Um, And she has a little sketchbook that we saw Charlie drawing in early on in the movie, and she asks Charlie to draw something. And we keep seeing her draw Peter over and over again mm-hmm. and crossing out his eyes essentially so peter starts crying mm-hmm. as you would if the spirit of your dead sister was basically like i'm coming for you next and bitch i know um but things quickly get out of control um she like um it's weird because for a moment she takes over her mom mm-hmm. um very briefly and she's like hello mom and she's like crying out mm-hmm. um and then it all stops because I think the dad, yeah, uh, like douses her with water or something like mm-hmm. that, and you know, so the seance stops, but it's made clear that Annie has been possessed to some degree by this spirit. Mm-hmm. This the spirit that we kind of see represented throughout the movie by this blue light. Um, we see it in uh, a scene with Charlie early on in the movie. There's this blue light in her room. Mm-hmm. Um, we in see class. it in class, and we for see both it of the kids. For both of the point. kids, at some point, we they see it at school. The blue light. We see it now. I think when Annie is possessed, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And later on, you know, we kind of can see the movement of the spirit and who it's possessing, kind of represented by this blue light. So as time goes on, the family seems to kind of fall more and more apart. Peter at school seems to be almost possessed a couple of times and has some very frightening experiences where his dad has to come kind of like pull him out of school Mm -hmm. um where like you know he he would look at his reflection and his reflection would kind of smirk back at him and then he'd slam his head into his desk or something and then start screaming and the teacher was like (laughs) you good it's time to go home (laughs) (laughs) okay we're gonna send you home buddy so you know and the dad is very upset he's like what is happening Mm -hmm. and then after that we see that Mm -hmm. i think the mom starts to rethink it too and she's like maybe this was a bad idea and she goes to burn the notebook Mm -hmm. and she starts lighting on fire too so she pulls the notebook out and stops it out and the fire Mm -hmm. on her goes out and so now she has this idea that she and this notebook are linked because she was possessed for a moment yes so she's like well i can't destroy the book or else i'll die too so, but she doesn't know now how to get rid of the spirit without hurting herself. So she goes back to Joan's apartment 
And when she had first gone to Joan's apartment, she noticed a, a welcome mat outside mm-hmm. of Joan's apartment that was very similar to the welcome mats her mom used to make and sell. And Joan was just kind of like, oh, that's weird, LOL. Um, but she you know, goes to Joan's apartment. She's knocking on the door. Um, there's no answer, but we are shown the inside of Joan's apartment. There's a lot of, you know, the furniture is mostly covered and there's what looks like some sort of ritual or spell, um, had taken place at the table, mm-hmm. um, with a picture of Peter. And we're not really sure what's happening at this point, but we know, you know, these weird things that have been happening to Peter since the seance maybe aren't solely due to Annie's actions, but maybe there's something bigger at play here. Mm-hmm. So. And we also see that symbol again that her, mm-hmm. her grandmother yes, yes. was wearing on the necklace and on that pole right. that decapitated Charlie. So Annie goes home and she starts going through her mother's things, hoping to find some answers. And, you know, we see a couple books with the symbol on it. And she's going through some old photo albums and she sees pictures of her mother and Joan. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Joan has never mentioned that she knew Annie's mother. Mm-hmm. And they're pictured with a lot of, you know, other people and they're all wearing the same symbol. And there's some pictures of her mother in a wedding dress and they're throwing gold coins over her. It's all just very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, so Annie starts kind of flipping through some of these books and she finds the symbol in the book relating to Paimon, who was one of the eight kings of hell. And in the book, it says that Paimon um, desires, you know, a human host, but he prefers young male bodied humans mm-hmm. for his hosts. So from here we can kind of glean that this cult's whole purpose is to get a human host for payment. And that kind of makes sense um, earlier on when Annie was talking about her 16-year-old brother who committed suicide, saying that their mother was trying to put things inside of him to control him. We can maybe think, you know, um, their, their grandmother was trying to use her son as a host for this demon, essentially. Mm -hmm. And Charlie even says early on that um, she's like talking to her mother and she's like, grandma wanted me to be a boy, Mm -hmm. which is, seems out of nowhere at the time. And then we learn that's yeah. She wanted her to be a boy so that she could use her as a host Mm -hmm. for payment. And the reason she wanted Charlie to be a boy rather, you know, than just using Peter initially was because she wasn't around when Peter was a child. Mm -hmm. Her, um, uh, Annie had gotten no contact with her mm-hmm. her mother when she had her first child, which was Peter. Right. So at this point, Annie's like, we have to get rid of this spirit. So she grabs her husband, drags him downstairs. Ooh. Oh. Well, before that, she goes into the attic. Oh, that I was wild. I completely forgot about that. I'm so sorry, y'all. Um, yeah, so she, we find out early on in the movie, her husband had gotten a call saying that um, the grandmother's grave had been vandalized Mm -hmm. and you know i they don't really give us any details so i had just kind of assumed maybe someone like spray painted the symbol yeah on her tombstone or something um but later on we find out that her body had been exhumed and it's missing Mm -hmm. um so annie goes to the attic and finds her mother's dead body decapitated decapitated and like laying in like this weird 
circle, mm-hmm. you know, like some kind of spiritual. I don't think it was a pentagram. No. But it was some kind of Some circle. symbol. And then the, the symbol of payment was painted in blood on the wall. Mm-hmm. Her. Which is the symbol that was on the necklace and the, you know, all the other Everywhere. stuff that we mentioned. <laughs> so Annie kind of freaks out. And she's like, oh my God, as you would be if you found your mother's decapitated dead body in the attic. So... Yes. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> I forgot about that. So she grabs her husband. She has him go into the attic and see for himself. And he's like, bro, what the heck? This poor man. So <laughs> she, you know, kind of gives him a rundown of everything she's learned. She shows him Charlie's notebook and she's like, I think I have to, we have to burn this. And she's like, in order to save Peter, we have to burn this. And so they go downstairs and she gives him the book. She's like, I'm too scared to do it myself. Throw it in the fire. She's like, I'm willing to sacrifice myself to keep Peter safe. And she's mm-hmm. like, just throw it in the fire. And her husband hesitates and he's like, Annie, you know, you're you, sick. Yeah, you need help. You need help. I I'm I don't know what to do for you anymore. And so in a moment of desperation, Annie's like, You don't understand. We have to do this. So she grabs the notebook, throws it on the fire, her husband immediately engulfed in flames. Yes. And that is the end of probably the most sympathetic character uh, in the whole film. This poor thing. He was just immediately trying to be a good dad. In flames. And Annie, we see a moment of shock on her face right before she is possessed again by mm-hmm. the spirit. And so Peter, at some point later in the night, comes downstairs and sees his father's charred dead body on the ground. And we see Annie kind of chilling on the ceiling behind him in this shot, which made me laugh. I'm sorry. It was so Yeah, funny. she's like floating she's around. in the and corner just... like a little spider. She's like, hello. And then she's kind of like swimming in the air behind right. him like silently. So she chases him up to the attic. Um, and in the attic, you know, he sees his grandmother's dead body, but there's also a lot of naked people up there. <laughs> naked elderly folk. Naked elderly folk. Uh, a lot of people you would never really want to see naked, but there they are. And, uh, you know, we kind of just assume these are the cult members. And Annie's slamming her head on the, the door to the attic, and Peter doesn't really know what to do, and he's kind of freaking out. And uh, Annie eventually gets in. And starts garroting off her head with piano wire, which is a slow process. And it's and, and they keep playing this noise. It almost sounds like a old saw. Ooh. It's like gross. It was, it was nasty. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. Very nasty. <laughs> like, so oh. Peter, seeing that, just panics and runs, jumps through the attic window, falls to the ground, presumably dead. We see the, the spirit, you know, in the form of this blue light enter his body. He wakes up. We see Annie's now decapitated body floating Floaty. across the yard and up into this treehouse that used to be Charlie's. So he also goes over to the treehouse. In the treehouse, um, all of these, you know, his grandmother's decapitated body, his mom's decapitated body are bowing down along with all of these naked cult members to this statue mm-hmm. of Damon that, that happens has... to look like some of Charlie's toys that she used to make. Mm-hmm. And on top of this statue is Charlie's decapitated head with a crown. And, you know, we're kind of looking around at all these 
cult members and things bowing to this statue. And Joan appears and crowns Peter with the crown from the statue. And, you know, it's like, hello, Charlie. Mm-hmm. You know, we freed you from your female, female body. And we're here to worship you. So Payman has finally found his young male host after all these years. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is a good time to mention that it looks like Charlie and Payman are kind of the same. That's what we gathered was that they were kind of one in the same. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Charlie was born a female, so they had to kind of liberate Payman from her body, which is why Mm -hmm. they killed Charlie. Mm -hmm. But like Charlie and Payman are kind of one spirit, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. there are... Which explains, perhaps, Charlie's obsession with decapitating things. And her odd behaviors mm-hmm. and the clicking and whatnot. So that's where the movie ends. Um, it was a ride. Oh, yeah. It was definitely a ride. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, like, greater themes in this movie, I mm-hmm. felt like. It was more just sort of a scary movie you know, kind of thing. Um, I will say Ari Oster as a director, I really enjoy the way uh, visually that he shoots things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just so well done. And it really, you know, he kind of directs your attention very well that way. Uh, Just every, you know, shot in the house, um, there are a lot of scenes where, you know, it was kind of reminiscent of a dollhouse again. And we just see them as things being manipulated by this outside force, the cult or payment or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so I guess to start off with kind of um, our personal thoughts and our Mm -hmm. review, our personal review for the last little bits of this is, um, uh, I guess, what were your initial thoughts and theories? Because I definitely had some ideas I had. Mm -hmm. Um, We did end up having to look at other sources, which I will make available Um, if you'd like to look at them or get some clarity or whatever, (laughs) but we will touch on some of them here. (laughs) Initially at the end of the movie, I was a little confused because it seemed like the exposition of the plot throughout the whole movie was very slow. And then in the last like 10 minutes, they kind of threw a lot of really necessary details at you. So I, I thought I had an idea of what happened. Um, but I was a little unsure you know, in that I thought, you know, maybe Charlie and Payman are one in the same. Yeah, I was like, is Payman different from Charlie? Does Charlie yeah. know that she's, is she exactly. herself? Is she somebody? It was just kind of strange. And I don't know. I mean, as far, I mean, on this podcast, we'll be talking about, you know, a lot of other movies. And we uh, are going to review another Ari Oster movie, Midsummer. Um but just in contrast to how I felt when I finished Midsummer, I just didn't really have a lot of continuing thoughts about this movie, mm-hmm. which sounds maybe uh, stupid, but <laughs> no, I just, I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of unanswered questions. Um, although I thought the characters functioned very well within the story and that they fulfilled their purpose, I wasn't very attached to them in that they kind of took up a lot of real estate in my mind after I watched the movie because they really just kind of completed their character arc Mm -hmm. throughout the movie, if that makes sense. 
And there wasn't, I mean, I feel like in a lot of movies that we end up watching, um, and especially in the other um, Ari Oster movie, Midsummer, that you can find something to relate to in a lot of these characters. But for Hereditary, mm. it didn't quite seem that way. They were very unique yes. and odd, and you could kind of tell that there was just kind of a dark aura over them in general, but That's it wasn't... A- very good way of putting it explained and you it's not a dark aura that you can really associate with anything that you'd feel normally i would say it right it definitely has to do with like the occult things happening Mm -hmm. and the grandmother being into these occult things and kind of pushing things on her children for that cult well i think that's yeah that's a lot of what makes horror movies scary sometimes is you know the how relatable the characters are, how normal they are, who are being victimized, you know, by these cults or spirits or ghosts, what have you, because you look at that and you think, oh, that could be me. But yeah, there was really nothing about these characters that I felt I related to. And I'm sure there are people out there who who can, but Mm -hmm. they, and I think that was part of the, the charm of the movie is that they are very strange people. And they're, they're kind of playing at this sense of, normalcy but even even within that you know it's very clear to anyone who kind of gives them more than a second glance that they're not normal mm-hmm. yes except for my man's the dad yeah the dad the dad was the most <laughs> sympathetic character <laughs> that poor man Ugh. i still yeah i'm it was just he was really doing I'm his best salty <laughs> he he cooked dinner for them Mm-hmm. he kept it kind of everybody together or did his best to keep everybody sane but you could tell that he was the closest thing to normal they had or the catalyst mm-hmm. to normal and so when his death happens that's kind of when it all hell breaks loose literally yeah <laughs> and I kind of also touch on that maybe payment has some sort of link to the grandmother's bloodline mm-hmm. and maybe that's why the dad is more normal is because he's not blood related to the grandmother like annie and the children are mm-hmm. and also kind of why he mm-hmm. i guess for the purposes of what's going on he kind of ends up having to die because mm-hmm. he's he's that link way. to normalcy and he's kind of out, yeah he's in the way he's out there and he seems to be the the thing anchoring both annie and um, Peter. Peter to some form of sanity or keeping it together. And so mm-hmm. when he dies, that's when it seems like they both lose all. I would and agree. So ultimately, Erica, uh, what what would you say we would rate this movie? Um, so we, <laughs> we uh, as a first episode, I guess we should kind of explain our rating system. Um, it's it's going to be a little... <laughs> arbitrary arbitrary yeah (laughs) just for the purposes and it's definitely going to be per movie so it's not necessarily a part of the big list no still kind of a little funny rating system to get just based on our overall impressions and Mm -hmm. again these are just our opinions and we're just two chicks we we do not watching thrillers and chillers (laughs) we do not in any way assume that we are you know giving some sort of definitive ranking to all these movies. So yeah. this is, again, this is just our personal opinion. Uh, so what, what what did we rate this movie, Eric? We rated this movie um, five out of eight kings of hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or yes. heck, if you're feeling a little, <laughs> a little double hockey sticks. <laughs> so we rated this movie five out of eight kings of hell because 
for a horror movie, I think it was very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a very good self-contained kind of horror movie in that it's not going to really make its way onto my list of favorites, but for a ghost, you know, demon movie, it was very well done. Mm-hmm. I'd definitely probably show it to other people just for, mm-hmm. you know, reactions and a good, yeah. you know, a little... Oh, I'd watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. But, like... It's not going to make it into my my top ten, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I think, what made this movie great for me is, and you'll see this um, probably in a lot of the reviews, I just have a soft spot for symbolism and foreshadowing. And I like it when things are very purposeful. So I really like Mm -hmm. it when the decisions they make and the things they show you are important. And they're not just kind of there a lot of that in this movie and there's a lot of that i mean even um you know after kind of watching and talking about it we find that like that symbol had a lot to do with what um the cult was kind of manipulating in the family's lives Mm -hmm. and um one thing that i thought was cool too is like you keep seeing these dioramas she makes yes and they're not they don't really they're not really a big plot point they're kind of there um, but later you kind of realize that the dioramas that you're shown in the movie are very directly linked and portray things that the cult manipulated in their lives. Yes. So I, I really liked that purposefulness and that symbolism and how everything that you, pretty much everything that mm-hmm. you see in the movie, you can tie to what's going on in some yeah. way. And I think, yeah, that's something that Ari Oster is very masterful at mm-hmm. is the little details. And that's a lot of what makes his movies great. And even though this could be kind of chalked up to sort of a tropey, scary movie, mm-hmm. it was so well done. I, yeah. Like, I genuinely enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. And I, I, feel like, I feel like 5 out of 8 seems kind of low. At the time of recording this, we had already seen his other movie, Midsummer, yes. And so we did kind of use that as um taking into account mm-hmm. you know i feel like midsummer's kind of his masterpiece mm-hmm. um at least so far so taking into account knowing what he's capable of doing mm-hmm. we we rated this maybe a little lower but mm-hmm. also you know you gotta earn high ratings from us <laughs> <laughs> yeah this yeah it was just hereditary is good but it definitely seemed trapped in trying to kind of be a scary movie and trying mm-hmm. to be something that because especially like a lot of the marketing was really around halloween oh, and yeah. being this new give that marketing horror. to them right yeah the marketing team oh, was great goodness. no flack for them at all they did but amazing you used to tell that they were also really trying to make this more of a halloween yes. classical horror hit and i feel like that ended up maybe limiting being more Some limiting of the creativity, yeah. yeah. Versus her or not hereditary versus Midsummer is more mm. experimental, and it seems to really um, subvert expectations. Yeah, and benefit from that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on our first episode of Thrillers, Chillers, and Chicks. We hope mm-hmm. you continue to join us. This is going to be a bi-weekly podcast. Mm-hmm. And next time, I hope you join us to hear about Suburban Gothic, yes. directed by Richard Bates Jr. and starring Matthew Gray Goobler and Kat Dennings. Beautiful. Love it. It's it's a fun ride. Probably not going to be as long as this one. No. Just, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's more different. It's a yeah. thriller. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> but yeah. So join us in two weeks and we hope to hear from you then. Yes. Also, if you're hearing this, the day it drops, it's Halloween. Ooh. So we hope you have a wonderful and safe Halloween, even though Miss Rona 
decided to, to us. Yes. Decided Social to be present. Uh, be safe, mm-hmm. but stay spooky. Wear a spooky mask. Yeah, stay safe out there, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you uh, the week after next. Signing off. Bye. Bye. It's Erica from Thrillers, Chillers, and Chicks, and I just want to let you all know that our primary form of social media right now is Twitter. You can find us at Ann Chillers. There you can find updates and also give us your feedback on the podcast. Thank you again for listening, and stay spooky.